Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, got some uh, a positive baseball update to look back on and enjoy. Uh, have some remarks centered around uh, Willie Taggart's booster tours and some of the comments that he's had about uh, schedule, certain units that uh, get a decent amount of focus from people. And then uh, we'll circle back to some of the listener questions that uh, we just didn't have a chance to answer in our uh, our previous solo podcast. So uh, I think I speak for all the listeners when excited to welcome you back. And uh, uh, Nolcast is, uh, is better when done by two. So happy to have you back here, bud, and we'll jump into it. I very much appreciate you doing the uh, the solo pod. I, I was not expecting to have uh, to have that happen when it did, but uh, but you know, blessed that I now have a, a healthy son and, and wife is doing well. And uh, I thought you did a really nice job. By the way, one guy gave us some feedback that you said uh too much during the show, and I will just tell you that a it is very hard to do a monologue podcast. B it is very hard to do a monologue podcast when you don't know that you are doing a monologue podcast, and if you have to take someone else's notes, which are I think Ingram can attest here, sometimes extremely shorthand that are basically just prompts for me, then yeah, that can be difficult. <laughs> so I thought you did a great job and I'm glad to be back. Yeah, no, I appreciated it. I also thought that guy's uh, feedback was was accurate and legitimate, but uh, it's time to time to jump into a more normal, normal null cast and uh, congratulate you and Maggie. Uh, that's great news and We'll look forward to uh, to seeing what comes from that. Uh, so, Bud, we'll uh, thank our friends over at New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce title sponsor of the Nolcast. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, and uh, a partner that's been with us for three, I believe, going on four years now. So, credit to them and always want to give them thanks. No doubt. So, let's jump into baseball here. That was pretty cool. I had a lot of time on the couch last couple of days and got to watch a lot of Florida State baseball. I got to watch it with with, with my dad. And, um, three generations of, of Knowles. Although I guess we'll see where my son goes, but got a feeling. How cool was that, man? They just came out. They played loose. They 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 hit the snot out of the ball, and they pitched well. It's it, it's tough to describe just how how thoroughly they dominated Georgia, which was a, a national seed. They're fourth, I think, N- national seed. That's that that's that's a butt whooping right there, and, and they went out. And they did it. Cherry on top was they had a walk on. A club player launched just launched bombs. Just, just home run home run derby out there with a club player. It was phenomenal. Uh so it was a great, great weekend for for Florida State baseball. And certainly the type of weekend that you would hope uh, Martin would be able to sample one more time on his way out. And who knows, maybe there's maybe there's something special in stores the team uh, travels to to Baton and Rouge, uh, Baton Rouge, but it was uh, it was just great to see. It was a uh, great to see them get that win over FAU and kind of find a little bit of confidence. Uh, I completely agree with you. The dugout appeared to be looser and more comfortable than really at any other time uh, that I can remember. Uh, certainly this year, and certainly in postseason play, I, I think there is. Uh, a lot of validity to the talk that maybe this team benefited from the fact that they weren't playing in Tallahassee. They were able to go somewhere else, and they were able to go somewhere else that had a little bit of a co- collective weight on their shoulders. The Georgia baseball program's been under some kind of strange voodoo for the past 10 or 15 years and uh, had a little bit of success last year with no postseason uh, real success to show, and it looked like some of the pressure and uh, – uh, just the things that people have at times talked about how uh, outside the outside the diamond issues as far as expectations uh, can start to weigh on a baseball team, particularly sometimes a college team when they're playing at home. And 
that's an issue that Florida State's sometimes been the victim of. And for at least one weekend, it looked like that was something that might actually have been beneficial to him. No doubt. I also want to give credit here to Kurt Weiler, a former Tomahawk Nation guy now with the uh, Tallahassee Democrat. 14 of FSU's 35 runs in the regional were knocked in on the first or second uh, pitch of an at-bat, which is probably a little more than than average, I would say, for this Florida State team and program. The narrative that they don't hunt first-pitch strikes or or, or they don't go after fastballs early in the count, I think is a badly dated narrative, to be honest, and and it's one that I used to push maybe uh, 10 years ago. But since then, they've done a better job adjusting to that. Clearly, they identified something that they wanted uh, early in counts and went out and, and 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 got it and took aggressive hacks. I mean, they even had some foul balls that were stung early in counts. They, they were on those, and in some ways, that might have taken Georgia by surprise in the first game. So excellent job there of, of coaching and identifying when they wanted to attack. That, that's something we don't talk a whole lot about on the NOLCast because we don't really get into a whole lot of baseball talk, but playoff baseball – does seem to to garner more interest, I mean, obviously, than the non-playoff baseball. Pretty cool to see there that Florida State went out and did that. Also very cool that they have maybe a little more pitching depth now than we thought. I'm not necessarily sure that this team is built to grind out wins, to, to come from the loser's bracket, especially not uh, to to go down you know, to L- LSU. If you lose the first one, that's going to be tough to, to claw back. That's true for any team in a format like that, but perhaps more for this FSU team. I'm excited to watch them play. It's going to cause a little bit of strife in my household because uh, last year or two years ago, wait, when did they play LSU? Was it last year? I think it was two years ago. I, okay, I two years ago. Yeah, I, I I had to wear that one for a while. And just, <laughs> just, just caught a whole bunch of hell for it since my wife's an LSU grad. I need a little redemption here. I'm going to be watching all three games this weekend and it's going to be fun. I I think at this point you are you are the house money of house money teams in this tournament. But you're house money with upside. You're not one of these one of these Cinderella teams that doesn't have talent. This team has some talent. For whatever reason, it did not play to its talent level this year and underachieved its talent level. I think by a a pretty decent margin. Now that you have the walk on in the batting order, they're they're hitting the ball. They're turning over the lineup a little bit better. It's not crazy to think that they could give. Give LSU a run. I'm, I'm looking for uh, looking for lines for college baseball to see what the actual series odds are here. Florida State is a plus one thirty underdog for Friday's game. If you do uh, if you do that and, and LSU is a minus one fifty favorite, quick little conversion here. Florida State is given a forty two percent chance to win the first game. I'll take that in Baton Rouge. Absolutely, yeah. That's not that bad at all. Okay, yeah, I, I, I would definitely take that. I don't see any series prices on here. Checking one more place just to feel, see if we can figure out the actual odds. This is probably not the best radio <laughs> at, at this second. Yeah, there's there's no series prices available so far. But uh, for the first game, Florida State, uh, Vegas has given them a 42% chance. I'll take that all day. Good luck to the baseball team. And, and I hope that we're continuing to talk about baseball. Uh, come next episode. Yeah, that'd be <clears throat> that'd be quite the development if, if we're uh, able to provide another another full update on a on a series and maybe even talk about a team that's making plans to make their way out to Nebraska. So uh, we'll see. Credit to them. Nice little end, uh, regardless on a season that didn't look like it was going to have a nice little end to it uh, for the vast majority of it. And 
good for uh, good for Mike Martin to have one last little uh, thing to put a feather in his cap and be a fun weekend to watch and see how this plays out in Baton Rouge. All right, let's pivot here real quick to uh, football. Willie Taggart has made some comments on his FSU booster tour. That's what he has to do. You have to talk to the fans. You have to talk to the media. You have to get people excited about the upcoming season. I think he is doing um, doing that somewhat. And it, he has a very tough job because last year there was a lot of hype about this team and, and they really went out and laid an egg. Some of that was his fault. A lot of that was not his fault. Some of it certainly was. Now, two things that, that people have emailed us a lot about, and we're not going to go over every single comment he's made on the booster tour. I do think we have a pretty good policy of if we're going to criticize somebody for saying something, then we typically try to, to provide something else, right? And we say, okay, they should have said this. Sometimes the answer is they should have not said anything at all. But I think that there are two comments that we can focus in on about which we've received a lot of, uh, a lot of emails. So here's the first one. Uh, from email Willie uh, Taggart on FSU schedule. Uh, he's not necessarily agreeing that the schedule this year will be easier. I think by any measure, by the way, just factually here, the, the schedule, it's very hard to see a, proje- a projection where the schedule is more difficult. Okay. Last year you had Notre Dame on the schedule. This year you do not. That was a pretty damn good Notre Dame team. And we knew it was going to be uh, so going into the year. So, Here we go. Quote, why is the schedule easier than last year? We are playing some of the same teams. You can take that one comment referring to playing Boise instead of Notre Dame, but we're playing Clemson. We're playing North Carolina State. We're playing Miami. We're playing Florida. I guess my point is it's tough saying it's an easier schedule when we haven't played it yet. You know what I mean? It's hard for me to say it's easier, but to answer your question, we can't worry about all those things. We've just got to worry about about us and get back to playing Florida State football. The one thing we're never going to do is is just worry about getting to a bowl game. That's never been our ammo around here. Uh, we want to win. We want to win big. Now, in the email, I want to point this out. It says ammo around here. I think that the I think Willie probably said mo, and this was transcribed incorrectly. Uh, we want to win big. We want to get to the big bowl games. We're going to do everything we can and work our tails off to get back to that. Just getting to a bowl game here is not our standard here, and it never will be. Honestly, I don't really have a major problem uh, with what he said. That's something a lot of coaches say. Look, he's technically correct that we don't know that the schedule will be easier. I think us reasonable people can project that the schedule will be easier. How much easier? I don't know. Maybe a half win, maybe three quarters of a win, depending if you were to project it out. In one way, I think it's easier because you don't give a home game or you don't kind of blow a home game against this Clemson team. I want to get four winnable home games in conference if I'm Willie. And this year he has that. Last year, he did not have four winnable conference home games. There is no scenario on earth in which they beat Clemson last year. 2020, probably the same deal. You're going to have to play Trevor again. He's going to play in Doak. They'll probably kill you again. This year... That's a reason for projection of easier schedule. NC State this year comes to Doak. Again, NC State has not been an easy place for Florida State to play. They seem to get up for that game. They don't get up for all their games, but when Florida State rolls into town, that place is a little bit tougher. Additionally, NC State lost several offensive linemen to the NFL, including one who was a first-round draft pick. They lost their quarterback in Ryan Finley. 
They will not be an easy game for Florida State, for sure. However, I would project that game to be easier this year, given the location and personnel changes, than it was last year. Willie correctly noted Boise State against Notre Dame. Uh, I don't know anybody who thinks this year's Boise State team is going to be better than last year's Notre Dame team, which was very good, uh, and played Georgia extremely close uh, in, in South Bend as well. Yes, they're playing Miami again. I think Miami will be an improved team, and Miami was definitely a better team than Florida State was last year. And you are playing Florida on the road, so the Florida game this year will probably be tougher. Uh, I think Florida um, – I, I do not think Florida is going to regress in, in, in year two in terms of, of capability. They might regress a little bit in terms of record. We'll see. Overall, I don't have a huge problem with this. I don't know that he should have said anything different, and I, I agree that you know with the focus on, hey, let's let's focus on us. Additionally, Willie, for self-preservation purposes, there's no way he should say, yeah, the schedule's easier, and that's why we're going to make a bowl game, right? right? Like, right. He's going to yeah. want it to say, hey, uh, no, we're, we're, we're doing better because our team is better, which it's going to have to be better, and the schedule can be a little bit lighter if they're going to get to where I'm sure he wants to get. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything egregious here. I, I think anybody that takes an, an honest look at last year's schedule and juxtaposes the 2019 one that uh, – that you know, eight and a half out of ten aren't going to choose to to rather play the 2019 look than the 2018 look. It's it's sad that uh, at Florida State we're at a place like this, but yeah, I mean you get you get NC State at home, uh, you don't travel to Louisville, uh, you have Syracuse at home, which obviously we nail how the road trip there went last year. It's an easier schedule, and it doesn't necessarily mean that. Uh, that it's a guaranteed path to success, and I think he's rightfully states what many of the fan base uh, believes, and that is that our expectations and our levels of definition of success aren't just being able to qualify for a bowl game. So I don't have any big problem here uh, with what he said, and I think uh, a little bit of coach speak, a little bit of self-preservation, but all in all, I, I agree with uh, with more than I don't. All right, Ingram, I was going to give a shout-out uh, to some of our listeners uh, on the last episode before I had to run off to, uh, to have a kid. But I was just getting back from the post office, sending out some new new T-shirts, and uh, very excited about that. Four new Nolcast listeners last month closing on their homes and, and sent out some, some T-shirts. And now I cannot find my list uh, of people to which I sent the T-shirts, but uh, very, very excited for y'all, happy about it. And uh, look, Resolution Home Loans – you work with Shannon, he's going to get you a great rate. He's going to walk through the process. He's going to make the process as easy and painless as possible for you. They can give you a lot of different options, but they're not going to overwhelm you with them. Give Shannon the call, 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. That's FSUHomeLoans.com. All right, uh, let's go on to the next question about which we – or next uh, statement about which we received a lot of emails. And this is Willie Taggart talking uh, about the offensive line. And he made several comments. I think these were in succession. These are the ones that I've been able to, uh, to to pull. It's been years, and I get it. But when it comes to the offensive line, it only takes one guy to be bad, and they all look bad. They're not all bad. After three years, that's all I've been hearing, how bad our offensive line is. I hear it from our fan base. I hear it from other fan bases. To be honest with you, I'm tired of hearing it. Next quote. I think our guys will give us a little more if they know we believe in them. Let's leave that to our other fans to talk about our guys. Let's encourage our guys. Let's have an expectation for them. Our guys know that in order uh, for that to change, we've got to go do it. I think you're going to be really impressed with our offensive line. 
Okay, so there's kind of three three quotes here. Uh, first one, I agree that they are not all bad. The one guy who was not all bad uh, transferred. That was, that was Landon Dickerson. So now uh, I don't think there's anybody in the offensive line who has proven to not be bad at this point, right? Maybe Minshew when he's healthy, but I'm not willing to go there quite yet. And other guys are just unproven, so they are unclassified in my mind. To be honest with you, I'm tired of hearing it. Well, people are tired of watching it. And there's going to be questions that if Willie has done enough to address the offensive line, we said for, gosh, do we say every single episode they need to go get two JUCOs and a grad transfer? Did, did, did I say that? Because I feel like I've said that a bunch. Well, certainly something we talked about. It's something I mentioned in the past podcast where it's it, it brought the it brought the failure to address those numbers into even into more of a spotlight with, with Dickerson ultimately deciding to leave. So here's what Willie went out and did. And this is one of the things I'm going to really criticize him harshly for. He went out and got one JUCO and one grad transfer. They needed to get three. They got two. Further complicating matters, the JUCO he got apparently – is not any good yet. From all the feedback we got from Spring running on the third team, you don't want to sign a Juco and have him run on the third team. He's a lot farther away from contributing in a meaningful way than than, than we thought and certainly than they thought. So right there, that is an absolute failure by Willie Taggart and his staff to address the offensive line in a meaningful way through getting college-ready players in Juco and transfers. They did not do a good enough job of that. It's why, like I said, uh, with the four-year rebuild the other day, this year, try, try to get to bad, from terrible to bad. Next year, try to go from bad to average above average. 2021, perhaps you can be good. This is a legitimate four-year rebuild process on the offensive line. I think Willie Taggart is going to succeed at Florida State. If he does not, we are going to look at his failure to address the offensive line and say, That is by far the number one reason. Now, with each passing year, a little more of this is on him. I would say it's still mostly on Jimbo, but it's getting closer after another season. It will be more on on Willie, just looking at the distribution of the recruiting classes and some of the failures uh, that he and the previous administration had in recruiting and in development. I would also take a little bit of an issue here with the idea that it only takes one guy to be bad, which is true, but that is not what was happening with Florida State last year. And I think it's a bit misleading to state that in a way that implies that Florida State was just one bad player uh, last year causing the rest of the offensive line to be bad. Uh, I disagree. I think that almost all of their players were bad to terrible. So you know, take that for what it's worth. I, I think we, we agree on that. Do you have any thought on the, the the fans need to be positive thing? No, I mean, other than that's just not going to happen. I mean, it's a, it's an issue that uh, that predates Willie as far as uh, inability to have a suitable offensive line. Our offensive line would uh, frequently allow our quarterbacks to be chalk outlined in the backfield, and uh, we were certainly a, a major beneficiary of one of the more transcendent talents at running back who helped uh, mask a lot of the offensive line problems that that date even deeper to that. Uh, it's been an issue for a long time. It's been an issue that's been used against us in recruiting. Uh, it's been an, an, an issue that, quite honestly, the fan base is just saturated with and, and pretty much over with at this point. I totally agree on that. Fans, the problem is fans are not being overly negative. They are just being realistic. 
because you shouldn't be positive about this offensive line. You shouldn't be real optimistic about this offensive line. Willie and his staff did not do a good job of addressing the offensive line talent with college-ready players, period. There's no reason to be optimistic about this offensive line and I, 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 for, for this year. Now, long-term, sure. I think the floor is being raised a little bit with every recruiting class, and I get why he has to say that. So I don't have a real big problem with him saying that, and that's a booster tour, right? He has to say, hey, let's support our guys, right? The one thing I would say here, and this quote will probably bite him in the butt this year, is the last one. Quote, I think you all are going to be really impressed with our offensive line. Don't say that. Don't say that. There's a lot of stuff you can say. When you're as bad as they were last year, you have so much room for improvement, right? Why not say, I think you guys are going to be impressed with our progress. I think you're going to be impressed by how much we improve. I, I think... Uh, I, th- I think we're going to come a long way this year. I-, I think you'll I think you'll see noticeable improvement. Those things, sure. But to just flat out say, I think you're going to be really impressed with our offensive line, I think you're setting yourself up for failure there, right? Like, you need to communicate to the people on the tour, your boosters who have come out to see you, which obviously a lot less this year than last year, that we're going to make progress. What you don't want to do is, is gas them up and then have the huge letdown like he did last year, because there's already a lot of people, and we see the emails, and I know the boosters get these emails too, or just the non-renewals for the season tickets and whatnot, who don't believe what Willie says, because they don't think he knows how to evaluate his own team after what he said last year versus what they put on the field. Now, we know that Willie was not totally wrong about what he was saying last year based on the starters, but we also know that he should have tempered the enthusiasm a little bit more Because we had guys on his staff telling us we cannot run practice with the backups, right? Nobody could block Brian Burns in terms of the starters, but that was the case with most of the country. The problem is when you have FSU's backup defensive linemen who are not really that good at all, killing your backup offensive linemen, you know that if you get a couple injuries, you're going to be in trouble. So he should have tempered this last year by saying things like, hey, we have a little bit of a depth issue. If we stay healthy, we'll be okay up front, which is what we, me and you, accurately told people. I feel it was accurate, at least. And, you know, it's it's in Bill Connolly's preview, too. Like, we're sitting there in the tequila bar in the Golden Nug Casino before our little, uh, our, our little convention uh, speaking engagement we had. And he's like, what do you think? And I was like, look, if they stay healthy, they're going to be okay. But their backups are so bad. Like, they're not Power 5 quality players in any way. If they have to get into that depth, they're screwed. They, they could miss a bowl. I'm just worried that Willie's setting himself up for failure here with, with quotes like these. He needs to strike a better balance, probably, of hyping up improvement as opposed to hyping up actual like objective quality of, of play. Because they're not going to be a quality offensive line issue. They might be more cohesive. They might be more comfortable in the system, in, in, in the offensive scheme and system than they were last year. In fact, I think they will be more cohesive, more comfortable in year two, more comfortable running a no-huddle offense. I think they're going to get better coaching this year with Randy Clements. All of those things can be said, but man, quote, I think you all are going to be really impressed with our offensive line. It's got a real chance to be the worst in the in, in the ACC again. Yeah, yeah, I would say either improvement or really impressed with our offensive line from where we were last year or something like that. Um, I agree. And and if, we're, if you think that you're listening to this and we're being – uh hypercritical and parsing words this 
is a continued trend from last year where, where you probably put too much smoke out there uh, as far as uh, pumping up your own team. And it really bit you in the rear end. And this is a, a unit that 98% of the fan base is exceptionally jaded about and uh, is going to have to going to have to see it on tape before they believe it in general and uh, yeah like you said probably would have been better to talk more about improvement or progress rather than just uh, having a having a unit that's going to go out there and impress people because absolutely yeah, that probably probably ain't happening folks so we'll see all right so uh, speaking of the offensive line uh, one team that could give them a lot of trouble you I, I know you did a pretty good preview on them I just wanted to add a couple thoughts here uh, from the last episode is UVA UVA is a team that I'm just going to go out on a limb here, and based on the feedback we get, I think a lot of people are assuming that UVA uh, is is sort of an automatic win, and, and I would caution people against that. I, I don't agree with that uh, idea. I think UVA is going to be a pretty good team. I expect them to be really good uh, defensively. We know that Bronco Mendenhall typically has very good defensive teams relative to the talent that he has to work with. They run a a very complex blitz scheme that that can be very difficult for offensive linemen to pick up. There is all the possibility in the world that Florida State's offensive line looks like absolute trash in the third week of the year going to Virginia. UVA does this to a lot of of people. Look at at what they did last year uh, to Miami's offensive line when when Miami went into Charlottesville. Almost all of that defense is back, by the way. Uh, They are, are... Pretty good. I mean, just looking at their personnel here. They lose the what? They lose the safety to the league and Yeah, they lose Thornhill. One um, lineman. They, is that right? They lost a they lost one of their corners. Uh it looks like they lost their backup nose tackle in uh in Dylan Thompson. Um, but the guy their three linemen who's they run a, th- a thirty-four, so their three front linemen who started the uh the most games it looks like are all back. Um they do lose um yeah, they lose their leading tackler by percentage, uh, but they're they're very deep there at the linebacker position. The secondary is going to be pretty good. I think it'll allow them to play a lot of, of aggressive coverages and, and bring a whole lot of blitzes. That's what I would do against Florida State. If you're playing a player like Dante Lucas, right, this is one of the concerns with doing, doing so, with playing a true freshman, because he's not going to have seen all these different blitz schemes in, in high school. And if you're Florida State, you're going to want to run – more protections so that UVA doesn't figure out what you're doing with your protection schemes early in the game and just dial up the blitzes that are, are designed to exploit whatever protection scheme you are running. Now, if you're playing a true freshman on the offensive line, that can be difficult to, to do that. So this is going to be a tough game. I, I would not expect this to be a game that is a, a shootout in, in any way, really. Offensively, Florida State's going to, I would have to say, probably if, if they get to 30, I think you feel really good about your chances here. Virginia was kind of a weird team offensively last year, right? Their quarterback, Bryce Perkins, had pretty good numbers on the surface. Excellent touchdown-interception ratio, 25 to 9. Completion rate of 65%, which is really high. But but yards per attempt, only 6.5. A, a lot of short passes, a lot of screen game from from Virginia. I'm just I'm going a little more in depth on Virginia because Florida State did not play Virginia last year, so I'm guessing a lot of our listenership did not actually watch much Virginia. Uh, Perkins is not a really good passer. This team likes to throw off play action, and they like to throw a lot of short passes, a lot of screens. They like to run their quarterback. He was a thousand yard rusher, like you noted uh, last year when you t- when you take out the sacks, and they ran him 180 times, not including sacks. That's 
ton of, of carries uh, for, for UVA. So the one thing I would point to here is that UVA, they, they had a pretty clear strength and a pretty clear weakness, right? Their standard down offense, so when they were at or ahead of the chains, 47th nationally. You want to guess what their passing downs offense ranked when they were behind the chains? 65th. Uh, worse. 85th. A little worse. Ooh, okay. Where? 126th. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, that ain't just bad. That's So, yeah, that tells me that if UVA is ahead of the chains, if they're having some success with their run game and their little screen stuff, if they're getting to second and six, if they're getting to third and two, uh, that's where they hit some of their explosive plays with their play action stuff. That's where they can they can convert. But they are a pretty bad, or at least they were last year, a, a pretty bad drop back passing team. Florida State's goal in this game is going to be to get UVA behind the chains. And that, look, that sounds normal. Yeah. Duh, bud. Oh, that's five stars on iTunes for that. Sure. But <laughs> we typically do not see this big of a gap. We have 70, 78 spots in terms of, of a ranking difference, 47th to 126th. Uh, here, it does make some sense to sell out to get a team behind the chains, to get some tackles for loss, to get uh, some 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 run stuffs. I think you'll see more run blitzing from Fort State in this ball game and and force UVA to uh, uh, to see if they can operate behind the chains. Maybe they'll be improved, but but I, I doubt it. And I think the risk reward is justified to get them behind the chains. Now, defensively, UVA when they get you behind the chains, you're you're pretty dead. They were 18th in the nation on defense in that regard. So do not do not get behind the chains. Also, their uh, their punter, really good. Average starting field position defense, seventh in the nation. I don't like I don't like how this shapes up, man. I mean, you're talking about a team that is going to confuse our blocking schemes. Probably, you're talking about a team that's probably going to did it. That kid graduate? Hold on, let me see. Yeah. Oh, good. He's gone. Thank God. Uh, average forty two yards. Average return one point seven yards. Only had six touchbacks all year. Inside the 20, uh, 15. So he had a, a three to one inside the 20 to touchback ratio. By the way, success rate. You want to guess uh, where he ranked in punting success rate? Please do tell. Number one in the nation. Okay. So that's where I thought we were going with it. But uh, yeah. Well, be brokenhearted that he's found other things oh, to do. Man, Lester Coleman, enjoy your post grad life, sir. Maybe Florida State will not be backed up inside their five all the time. And I did not think we would be talking about punting of like Virginia's punter. This early in in the off season, but hey, you never know where the Nolcast is going to take you. Yeah, well, it, it'd, be, it'd be great for us to actually field the punt and not maybe let a punt that was going to land on the seventeen make its way down inside the five. So, uh, what do you mean we'll, with this field the punt idea? Yeah, I know, I know, it does sound like a crazy idea, bygone era, but we can catch the ball uh, and not just point to where, in our idea, it's it's going to land. You mean sometimes in theory, even right? point in like theory, eight feet away from us. I'm sorry? In theory, we can catch the ball. We can, yes. In theory, it is an option available to us. But uh, we do love to run some good air traffic control back there sometimes, too. So we'll see. We'll see. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. I think that's it for new business. It's probably time for some listener questions. Got some listener questions we can transition into. But before that, want to uh, thank our friends at Madison Social for uh, all that they do to support this podcast. Been with us since the first day that we pressed record. And uh, in general, it just couldn't be a better partner to us or really a better asset to the fan base. And uh, to that end, want to remind people of the 
tailgate that they'll be throwing for the Boise State game. Don't have a uh, exact time on this, as it will certainly be tied to uh, whenever kickoff is uh, is absolutely confirmed. But uh, do want to go ahead and remind people the Jacksonville Fair Fairgrounds will be the location uh, where they are putting on this uh, twenty thousand seven twenty seven thousand square feet of uh, air conditioned awesomeness. And if uh, if you want to familiarize yourself with the temperatures in late August in Jacksonville, feel free to, and I think you'll only uh, find confirmation as to why maybe a, a tailgate uh, that has a uh, a little splash of air condition uh, worked into it may be all the more appealing. So uh, two different options. Option one is tailgate entrance, two drinks. That's uh, $20. Option number two, uh, get you said entrance and two drinks and also a plate of food, and that is uh, $25. So uh, there'll be additional uh, drinks available on hand, and we'll be able to provide people with more information as it becomes available. Uh, but want to always thank our friends at uh, Madison Social slash For the Table Restaurant Group and uh, remind you all that uh, we'll be at this uh, said tailgate, and we're working on some kind of Nolcast live podcast or uh, maybe, maybe a, a broader open conversation, maybe a better way to put it. I don't know that it's something that will be taped and made uh, readily available in the uh, for for future listen, but uh, it will be something a little bit more than just a standard meet and greet. Ingram, two things here and, and good ad read there. Number one, projected weather on that day: morning showers, so it'll be nice and wet for that steam to come up out of the ground. Ninety-two degrees. Ninety-two degrees with the with the. Water making its up way through the the lovely Jacksonville pavement. Yes, I, uh, I look rainy. forward to I'm not... spending time at uh, at this uh, Jacksonville fairgrounds air conditioned space even even further. No doubt. Don't hey, your favorite tailgate would never. All right. So the other thing I want to say here is that if you do pre order your ticket by going online, like Ingram said, that is going to be the way that you can submit a question from which we will select some questions for our live Q and A. We want people to order early to get the first crack at asking us questions. There is no guarantee that all of your questions will be answered because we don't know how many questions will be submitted, but uh, we will have a, a method for you to do that uh, soon. You'll be able to kind of show us your, your ticket number or your, or your receipt, uh, and we will put your questions into our question bank, and we'll maybe some longer form stuff too if you want. We'll try to, to look at that, and uh, it should be a pretty cool time, and, and obviously it's not the Nolcast tailgate, but we're going to be a, a pretty good part of it, and we look forward to seeing you all there. It, it's always great when we get to meet up with our listeners. We've had a couple of these now. They're always a good time. Everybody gets together and, and enjoys it, and whether you're a huge diehard Nolcast listener or you're somebody who listens a couple times a month, everybody's welcome. Uh, we're we're not, not that exclusive of a club. Look forward to seeing you all there. All right, bud. Uh, you want to jump into some of these listener questions that we we tabled uh, during the last podcast and uh, be able to jump into them a little bit more here? Yeah, it, I, I mean, obviously, I've been out for like a week, so I'm looking through our listener questions here. Did something happen with the schedule that caused us to get a bunch of questions about scheduling and, and scheduling complaints? Not, not that I'm immediately aware of. No, may just be a. You know, certain issues tend to find themselves in the front of people's mind, and maybe maybe scheduling has done so. But I I can't think of any current event that would have uh, placed more focus on scheduling than anything else. I mean, maybe, maybe just the announcements of some of these at out of comp, you know these uh some of these teams that are scheduling games for twenty thirty two or something like that, which is kind of a popular topic of conversation during this period of the off season. Maybe that is 
spurred people into thinking about it more, but uh, nothing otherwise. This idea that Florida State needs more competitive games, I I don't know that it, it I don't know that, that idea is true. Now I, I like marquee matchups just, just as much as the next guy, and, and I do like to see some bigger names on the schedule. But I went back and looked. Florida State has now completed 15 seasons since the ACC expanded. It expanded back in 2004. For those of y'all who are kind of newer to the sport, the league used to not have Boston College, Miami, and Virginia Tech, but it now does. Uh, so the league got a lot better than it used to be. Um, Florida State used to play Miami as a non-conference game. Now it plays it as a conference game. In that time, over those 15 seasons, Florida State is 78-38 and 38 in ACC play. Now, compare that to what it was in the first 12 years of joining the league. It was 90-6. and six. So, Florida State, first 12 years in the league, back when the league was not that good and Florida State was unreal, it lost an ACC game on average every other year. Florida State, in the last 15 years, has averaged three ACC losses a year, basically. It's like 2.75-ish. Here are their records in that time, time frame. They went 8-0 twice, 7-1 once, 6-2 thrice, 5-3 four times, 4-4 four four twice, 3-5 three, three times. There's a whole lot of close competitive games there, and so I, I was going to ask you, where are these complaints coming from about the schedule? Is it I, I, my, my theory on this, and maybe maybe you'll, you'll agree with me here, maybe you won't, which is why I'm asking you. Do you think it's because Florida State fans think, hey, if we play a close game against an ACC team that's not Clemson or not Miami, it's more reflective on Florida State than it is on, on actually a good opponent? Or actually that, that, that team you're playing close being a good opponent? Because they do have a lot of close, entertaining games. I think that's part of it. I think there's a expectation see expectation see from the fan base to win every game that's not uh Clemson, Miami or Florida or, or maybe suffer uh you know one one game that you have a hard time explaining every other year or something like that. Uh and I do think that there's still a lot of this fan base that um yes, we skew a little bit younger in our demos and stuff, but I do think there's a lot of this fan base that still has the idea that Florida State would travel anywhere and and play anybody at any time and and uh, yes that's a, a a reflection of some of the older mentality and the way that Florida State kind of built itself into the brand that it did but I, I do think that that uh, that idea of aggressive scheduling does exist in the back of some people's minds and and to be honest with you some of the more enjoyable games in Florida State history outside of those that were played against Florida State or uh, or Miami and involved you know trips to Michigan or uh, you know big time wins on the road and and a, a little bit of a, a different mentality when it came to scheduling I, I totally agree with that I like that they're, they scheduled the game against Georgia I like that they're you know still trying to do the LSU thing these are good things, but it's also important to appreciate the the good games on, on your schedule. If you think about this, how many games do you think this year Four State will play in which the, like, the game is actually in the balance going into the fourth quarter? So a game that is exciting for most of the game, if, if we define it like that. I think it's the vast majority of their games. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I think we can remove Clemson. And probably Florida and Louisiana. And I was going to say, and, and you're pretty hopeful when it comes to Florida, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, if let me put it that way, if you're in it, you're probably being optimistic to hope that you're in it. Let me, I'll, I'll leave that as my final phrasing. Louisville might be a, a blowout win. 
depending on how much they bounce back because that program was kind of in, in real shambles. It'd be uh, nice for us to have one of those every once in a while, particularly over an ACC team. Indeed. When's the last time they won an ACC game by like three touchdowns? It's It's been a minute. Boise, I would project as close. UVA, we just discussed. NC State, I would project as close. At Wake, if it was home, maybe not. But at Wake, I would project as close, especially since it's coming off the Clemson game. Uh, you have no idea what your mindset's going to be like that or your health. Syracuse, I would project as, as close going in the fourth quarter. Miami, at this point, I would project as close going into the fourth quarter. I know most most projection systems have Florida State losing that, but I, I think that's a – it's just all going to depend, depend on Miami's quarterback play. If Miami gets good quarterback play, they're going to be a better team than Florida State this year. If they don't, then it might be pretty even. Uh, at Boston College, I would project as, as fairly close. Oh, Alabama State, I would not project as close. I was looking at Bill Connolly's numbers. He has Florida State winning that by 57. That's be nice to have one of those. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. So, I mean, you're looking at, at eight competitive games out of, out of a 14-game schedule, or excuse me, a 12-game schedule projected. And if you make a bowl, you get the nine competitive games as a projection. That That's a pretty exciting schedule to me. Now, some of the, some of the teams against which you project to be competitive are not that good, and it is potentially a reflection on yourself, but I, I have a hard time thinking that like this. This is not a schedule that people want to see at all. It does make me think that people don't appreciate the quality of the teams Florida State plays at at, at times. Uh, but maybe that's because we work in media and we understand how good some of these teams are and some some of these teams are not. And the average fan just they're never going to be able to get with the idea that Syracuse was actually good last year, right? They're not going to be able to get with the idea that. That BC is anything but just a, a whatever team. So, all right. I just I, it was kind of perplexing to me why we got all those emails at once, but uh, but we did. Okay. Trey asks to help put the expectations of the 2019 offensive line in perspective. In your opinion, would having the expected 2019 line as much as you can predict at least on the 2018 team uh, slash schedule uh, change the five and seven record? One or two wins or no changes? I may be more optimistic than most, but if you're telling me the 2019 offensive line will still be so bad that having this line last year wouldn't have made much of a difference. I guess I'm just too optimistic. So let's pull up the 2018 schedule, all right, and take a look to see which games we might think Florida State uh, would have won if we could have this year's offensive line projected. Notre Dame, no. Uh, Florida, no. Clemson, no. NC State, I would I would say no. There are a couple on here that, that I actually think I'm going to put in the potentially yes category. And there, there are three. Vatek, and I know that sounds crazy, but that game was, was fairly close for a while, and Florida State, largely due to offensive line issues, uh, was unable to score down in the red zone. If Florida State scores at all in, the, in that, that game, I think they have a much greater chance of – duh. Like if Florida State scores points, they have a greater chance of winning the game. This is – that, that's a truism, but it applies here. Now, you lost the game by 21 points. This is not a 21-point better offensive line. However, things that could have changed in the game uh, certainly might have impacted that some. Or if they get credit for the time that they do actually get into the end zone. But uh... Right. Oh, well, yeah. Do you think he scored? Because I, I still don't think he scored, but some people do. I think he was close enough to where we probably were misserved to try to get a get a quick snap off, but that's a you know that's more than hindsight at this point. Gotcha. All right. Uh, 
looking for the box score. Because the next one I'm going to say was also a blowout, but to me it was a blowout that was basically entirely on the offensive line. And that's the Syracuse game. It was probably the worst game I've ever seen a Florida State offensive line play, maybe by a lot. Syracuse's offense in this game was not any good, right? I mean, they their average starting field position is really what, what killed it for Florida State here. Syracuse ended up having 441 yards, and it's mostly because they had 36 minutes of possession time. Florida State just couldn't keep the ball at all. I mean, they I'm looking for the average starting field position here, but it, it was it was incredible. They went eight, 18 for 31, only seven yards per attempt for Syracuse, under a four-yard per carry average running the ball, right? 57 carries, 222 yards. That's not a very efficient offense for Syracuse. And yet they won 30-7. to seven. Florida State did have some drives. I really shouldn't say drives. Florida State did have some opportunities where they had the ball in a spot where they could uh, potentially score the ball and, and did not do so. They also just had so many sacks and just terrible play. I think you actually have a, a – I wouldn't say you are likely to beat Syracuse, but it is certainly possible that they could have beaten Syracuse if the offensive line was merely bad instead of absolutely terrible because the defense in that game did not play that poorly. They held Syracuse punt, field goal, turnover on downs, missed field goal from uh, literally three three plays, one yard. It's a great defensive stand. Punt, turnover on downs, punt, field goal. All right, that was the first half in this game. Florida State's defense played its butt off. Then they go to the locker room, then Syracuse comes out, Florida State forces another punt. To this point, Florida State has faced one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine drives, and they have done a really good job keeping Syracuse off the board. They're 35 minutes into this game, and they're down 6 nothing. At some point, the dam breaks. And the point is where Florida State goes three and out immediately. <laughs> right. right yeah. you know, at, after halftime. And then Syracuse finally scores. Florida State then goes three and out for negative seven yards. And then Syracuse scores four plays later. Uh, we were discussing this, and I think if you listen to our recap, the defense started to crumble in large part because they tr- they started to play in discipline because they were they realized that they were so going to have to like literally score on defense to potentially uh, do something here. If you have this year's offensive line, and I would project it would be better. I think it's going to be to be really clear here. You guys have heard me say this. I think it's going to be bad. I just don't know that it's going to be worse than the Power Five, terrible like it was last year. I think it'll be bad, not below average, bad. But if you had a bad O-line, you might have the lead against Syracuse in that game at halftime. It's not crazy to think you could have scored a touchdown there. If that happens, I don't know that the defense starts playing crazy. And that you might be more in that game. That's two games there where we've just broken down. And you may disagree with me if you do. Say, but I think you're crazy on this. Because, I mean, certainly I might be. That's a 21-point loss and a 23-point loss where if you have a decent offensive line... I shouldn't say decent. If you just had a bad offensive line, I, I think you have a, a, a decent chance of going one and one in those two, despite the fact that you got blown out in both. Very fair. Is, is your next game a one-point loss by it chance? Is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And look, Miami was a better team than Florida State last year. The better team won that game. Florida State was very lucky to be that close in that game, in my opinion. People don't like hearing that, 
That game shouldn't have been that close. Miami should have won by two touchdowns. Florida State got a lot of lucky bounces in that game, a lot of breaks. But if they if they don't have the one bounce that goes against them, which is the, the sack fumble on DeAndre. Or the throwback pass. The throwback pass that went against them as far well, as the call. Yeah, that was that was very bad. I shouldn't have said that actually. The thing is, to the spirit of Trey's question, if all we're doing is substituting the offensive line, are we allowed to then talk about the implications of uh, the implications that the different line would have on other positions? And for example, what I just did with Vatek and Syracuse, are we allowed to say, okay, the game state at this point would have changed? So then, what happened at this position or that position, specifically what happened to the defense, would probably not have happened or be less likely to have happened because the defense would not have felt so exasperated that the offense was just absolutely a, a you know, a disaster. If we're allowed to, then I don't think it's nuts to think Florida State would have been a win better with, with, with a, a bad instead of absolutely garbage offensive line. Now, if you take that and you spin that forward to this year and you think the schedule's a win easier, that's how you go from 5-7 and seven to 7-5, seven and five, which is where I'm at in thinking this team will do. So I, I hope that uh, – I hope that answers the question there. Do you think I'm crazy for thinking those those two could be win or could have potentially been a win? Not both, but one of them maybe. I mean, the Virginia Tech game is the one that really sticks out in my mind. I would have loved to have seen just the slightest amount of uh, <laughs> of of a game there, uh, particularly in the second half, where, with as much energy and excitement in that building and everything that was present. I, I think if Florida State could have just garnered any kind of traction in that game. Uh, as far as offensive output, that it really could have been a, a much different experience. But uh, hard hard to say exactly, and uh, all we could do is, is look to 2019 and hope that there is some uh, some significant improvement so that we can have a real juxtaposition, juxtaposition between the two units uh, when, we, when we judge and, and talk about uh, hypotheticals like this. I know you have a hard drop. You, you want to take Trey's uh, second question here? It's, it's pretty good. A little recruiting-related question. We'll talk a little more recruiting on the next episode, there's not a whole lot going on. Forest State's having some camps. Uh, I'm not going to be going to the camp this year because I have a, a six-day-old son, you know, paternity leave and whatnot, but uh, I will be in contact with the folks who I need to be in contact with there. Uh, Trey asks, and good, man, back to that good questions from Trey. We usually don't take two from, from one person, but he had two good ones. On the last pod, you said you don't expect the season win-loss results will make that big of a difference in recruiting. Assuming we don't win 10 games, I get it. However, Besides win-loss record, what on-field play could make a difference to recruits in your opinion? For example, say we go eight and four, and half of those are wins, or half of those wins are total blowouts with the offense humming and the defense allowing only one to two scores in those games. Or on the flip side, we still win eight, but seven of those are, games are close wins. The four losses are total blowouts, and we still look pretty poorly coached and not getting lined up, etc. I'd like to believe FSU goes nine and three, which is within your range of possibility, and looks pretty decent doing it. That some of the negative recruiting you mentioned would abate a little bit? Is a decent little turnaround already baked in for these type of recruits slash commitments? If not, where am I going wrong? I, I think that uh, I think there is assumption of turnaround baked into FSU's current recruiting. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is a great question too, Trey, by the way. Uh, it really is. So if they were to go 10-2, and two, in order to go 10-2, and two, you're probably blowing a decent number of teams out. If they were to do that, it, maybe the 9-3 and three with, with, with the blowouts. But 8-4, and four, uh, I think 8-4 and four is absolutely baked in, and you will not see a bump for 8-4. and four. I think you will see a, a downgrade if you go 6-6, six and six, which is possible, but maybe not super likely. 
Obviously, if you go five and seven, you're going to see a huge downgrade because Willie Taggart's going to be on every single hot seat list with a bullet at number one, for sure. Doesn't if, mean if he's losing happens. his job, but he will be no, on that list. Right, but Definitely. on all the hot seat lists, which is what uh, opposing teams are going to use for negative recruiting to show recruits, and, and it would be hard to argue that he's not a lame duck if you if you were to miss a bowl again, even though they would not fire him, I, I don't believe. What would recruits want to see? Okay, they want to see that, that there's playing time available, and they want to see that Florida State – is willing to play young players. So if you were to play Dante Lucas on the offensive line, that would probably help recruiting some, assuming that he plays well and he, he gets coached up and, and does, I mean, not plays well, but just assuming he doesn't look like a disaster out there, that would be helpful for the for the offensive line recruiting, which is what they desperately need. On defense, I think guys making plays in the secondary and an aggressive approach with, with a lot of, of pressure on the quarterback is something that we want people to see. Uh, I think Florida State will continue to be an aggressive defense. They'll probably play more varieties of coverage this year. So it's possible you could see that. The offense scoring points, a lot of different players touching the football in various ways. is It can be a good selling point in recruiting, especially if you're trying to get like a speedy receiver who's maybe not super refined coming out of high school. You can say, look, we are willing to put the ball in your hands because we know you're a special playmaker. But you may not be quite as refined. So while we work on your route running, we're going to get you the ball on jet sweeps. We're going to get, get you the ball in these type of ways. Running backs actually having lanes to run through and enough confidence that, that they actually don't try to just immediately veer off track when they get the ball uh, will will also be a help if that happens. But I do think uh, eight and four, almost regardless of, of, of how they look, is is baked in. Um, and if you go eight and four and you actually look like look like crap, it's still baked in. Because you're going to be able to say, look, we went five and seven year one. We went eight and four year two. Like, that's a legitimate three win improvement. So I think that's it, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good, honest look at uh, at what may happen with uh, the class, how it may be impacted. And I think astutely uh, pointed out that some of this success is already baked into the message that they've been selling these kids and that you're maybe not going to get quite the uptick that. Some think you will with just a, a season of competency put out on the field. No doubt. All right, so we'll uh, we'll pause here as far as a, a, this episode of the Nullcast. Certainly appreciate uh, any kind of feedback that you guys feel comfortable giving us, whether that be five stars on iTunes. As I previously mentioned, it's silly how important those things are, but uh, but it is. And if you're in a place to uh, give us five students uh, five stars, it is always appreciated. And any kind of uh, feedback or support on social media is uh, wildly appreciated and has been instrumental into the success of the podcast. So I think I speak for everybody. It's great to have Bud back. Uh, congratulations to you and Maggie again, Bud. And uh, we'll uh, look forward to making our way through this uh, this season, this off season. And uh, every every little podcast we do gets us a little closer to kickoff and at the end of August. Looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to it.